Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. We are back in studio today for a change. Uh, I am your host, Ray, Ray Gerard. Uh, with me, Mr. Bob Hennigus, uh, our fearless companion in these programs. Well, Bob, welcome once again. Man, it's good to be here, Ray. Thank you ever so much. So this is, uh, this is a program which uh, makes a rather bold claim. Uh, we say that we can tell you what St. Paul would tell us if he was around now to write a letter to America. That's a pretty bold, arrogant kind of thing to do. But that's simply because I think exactly like, we both think exactly like St. Paul, and so we could write these things. No, that's not the answer. No, the real reason is um, because what St. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago could just as easily be written today. It is the truth. And why is it the truth? But he was connected with God. Uh, he took his cues from God. I'm sure there were moments when, you know, he's trying to discern the right thing. And I'm sure he had his ups and downs and so forth. But, uh, you know, anybody who, you know, people continue to listen to after 2,000 years, I think might have gotten some things right. And we kind of explore that every week. Is he right? Was he right? Uh, do the things that uh, he said um, still makes sense. Would they still produce good and good results if we follow them today? And you know what? After, oh, this is, according to my count, uh, program number 140. And you know, I haven't found him to be wrong once so far. Amazing. Pretty, pretty amazing. bright guy. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, so what we do is we take these writings from St. Paul, we pick one out, and we apply it to something going on in our culture and our society today. And we ask the question that I just alluded to. Um, does St. Paul make sense? And if we apply what he said to what's going on today, uh, what do we find? Are we living the truth? Um, you know, and, and so we explore that each and every week. And so what are we going to talk about this week? Well, kind of recently, um, the president of the United States said something that spurred uh, this program, the content for this program. You know, when we began this program way back, what well, seems like now, a good bit of time ago, we used to often say that we talk about two things on this program that people say never to talk about. By all means, you know, just please don't talk about these two things. And we would boldly say, well, we're going to do that anyway. And those two things people would advise never to talk about, that is, if you want to keep your friends and keep people saying polite things in polite company, you do not talk about religion and politics. Just stay away from them. And I kind of always thought, well, that's hard to do. Because if religion carries with it, and particularly the religion that we have inherited from Christ, if that religion contains the truth, then shouldn't it be involved in politics? Shouldn't it be involved in every corner of our personal life, every corner of our social life, every corner uh, of our international relations? Shouldn't it, you know, cover everything? Especially when, you know, those religious principles that we like to espouse and uh, promulgate say, you know what? You've got to respect everybody and love everybody all the time, even people that don't agree with your idea of ultimate truth. And as long as we keep doing that, boy, wouldn't, you know, our problems seem to, to fade away. Anyways, um, so that's, uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about religion and politics because, frankly, can't avoid it. Not this time. Um, the president recently said something uh, that I think— is worrisome, is provocative, is something that we ought to take note of and you know, delve into and ask questions about and examine, you know, is there, is there something wrong? You know, what, what do we need to understand from this? And what he said was, 
Chaos is inevitable. Uh, so that's our title for this program, Chaos is Inevitable. Is the president right? Or does St. Paul say anything different? And if he does, is he right? Did what the president say actually conflict with the writings of St. Paul and the teachings of the church? Now, let's give you a little background. When the president said chaos is inevitable, he was talking about a specific circumstance, not generally, not philosophically, but a specific circumstance. Of course, the question is, can we take from one statement about a specific circumstance and derive maybe a philosophical outlook and say somebody wouldn't say something about a specific instance unless perhaps to some degree, um, to some degree, not to a complete degree, but to some degree, they agree with the concept that they're applying to the specific incidents. incident. So what's the background? Okay, so we've got this place called Afghanistan. 9-11 uh, happened 20 years ago, and terrorists killed 3,000 Americans who were um, simply going to work in the morning. And uh, as a result of it, we, we determined that uh, these terrorist activities were organized in um, a place halfway around the world. And so we went there. And have occupied in some, to some degree that country for the last 20 years. Um, we have tried to work with the local government, have them run things as opposed to us just sort of taking over the whole show. But nevertheless, uh, we've occupied it. If you could say that we've occupied it for 20 years. And I say, could you say we occupied it simply because, you know, most recently we had 2,500 troops there as a maintenance force. I don't think you can occupy a country with 2,500 troops. Anyway, um, so the president of the United States decided he was going to pull them out. And he pulled them out sort of in a very rushed, uh, you know, in the middle of the night kind of manner. They just took off. And there were a lot of American citizens still there. A lot of American sympathizers and uh, aides, people that have been interpreters for us, people that have been information sources for us, people that have helped us in one form or another. And all those friends of, of the U.S. were also left behind, Afghanis who are friends of the U.S. left behind. Um, why does the military, whose job it is to protect the citizenry. I mean, we have an army in this country and Navy and Air Force. So normal everyday citizens don't have to defend our country. They do that job for us. Well, if they're halfway around the world and there are American citizens halfway around the world in that same place, uh, you know, and they're trying to keep the peace and trying to keep, uh, you know, uh, terrorists from taking over the country. I mean, you know, they've got a responsibility. I mean, and if they don't have the responsibility, the commanders of this country who give them orders have that responsibility to take care of the people they serve. The, I mean, that, that's the simple, long and short. They serve, uh, they serve American citizens and whoever they are. So why would you have – I mean, it's like a captain of the ship deserting the ship as it's sinking. And he's the first one to jump into a life raft. And that's what the U.S. military did. And because it was wrong, I mean, if you're doubting whether or not it was wrong, well, all you got to do is, is look at what happened afterwards because then uh, the president decided he was going to send 5,000 troops back in, double the force that we had before the pullout. Okay, so that's what was going on. It was, you know, I mean, the president will say, well, the government, the local government collapsed faster than we thought. You can debate that. Um, and there's serious room for debate on that. But then we ran back in 5,000 troops who were trying to get these people out, and it's basically a mess. It's such a mess that you had planes taken off from the one airport that was still open to take people out of the country, and literally you had people clinging to the wheels as the plane was lifting off into the air. That's how scared they were to stay there. That's how scared they were of the people 
that the U.S. military was going to leave them to. They were so scared. They're trying to cling to a plane. And some of them lost their grip and fell to the ground and died. And so um, the president of the United States was asked about this by a uh, news anchor person named George Stephanopoulos with ABC News. And the president was asked, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, couldn't we have done this different? Couldn't we have avoided this? And the president's response, let me give you his exact wording. Um, I hate it. Or I don't hate it, but it's never as good when people paraphrase other people instead of quoting them directly. Uh, let's see. The president says, quote, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing. I don't know how that happens. So I don't know how you could pull the people out without with, pull the military out without chaos ensuing. Then Mr. Stephanopoulos proceeded to ask a question. So um, if this was the case and it couldn't have happened without the chaos, then you knew beforehand that there was going to be this chaos. So you quote, priced into, quote, the decision to, priced into, you, you, you priced the chaos into the decision to withdraw. You knew it was going to happen. It was going to be a consequence of the withdrawal. And you figured, well, we're just going to have to live with that consequence. And that's why you decided to withdraw. And then the president, the president apparently initially agreed with that before he proceeded, proceeded apparently to back away from that somewhat. But I mean, that's the unavoidable conclusion from this. Well, if you don't see how it could happen without the chaos, then you must have known there was going to be the chaos. So then you decided to pull the troops out anyway. So you knew there was going to be this chaos. Um, you knew people were going to, you know, be put at risk of death. I mean, they, they felt that there was such a risk of death. They're willing to cling to planes as a takeoff. Well, there's a question with that. Is that right? Because just a month and a half earlier, the president had said this was not going to happen. So we didn't foresee the chaos. So we did, we didn't, whatever. Um, but even if the president had, had not said something contradictory a month and a half earlier, just taking the one statement on its own, we couldn't have done this a different way. The chaos was inevitable. Is that something we should agree with? Is it logical? Does it make sense? I guess every once in a while, Ray, that might be the case. I'm sort of reaching as we're, as we're talking. Um, but I've heard similar circumstances, right? Um, somebody is driving home on a cold winter's night. There's ice on the roads, and they go too fast. And they hit the brakes, and they skid off the road sometimes harming themselves, sometimes others. And when asked, well, what could one do? If you're going 60 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone on or around hills on icy roads, chaos is going to ensue. Correct. Lay those circumstances out, and that's correct. But you could go slower. You could choose not to drive. You can choose a lot of different things. And so whenever I've heard this phrase by anyone, chaos was going to ensue means that there are decisions that are being made that were absolutely horrible in that process to land us in that position. Um, it is almost, I've, I've never heard anybody say this is a strategy. I've only heard people use it as an excuse that chaos was going to ensue. I had, this is my best chance. And so therefore I took this chance almost without asking the question in the week before or the month before, or the moment before, are there things that we could have done different? And I, I think that's what you've got to do. You've got to ask yourself, were you, were you in the right frame of mind? Was your judgment good as you got into this a week or a month or two months before? If you're going to ask yourself, was my judgment good, that would be because um, 
you think things should go in an orderly fashion. And if they don't go in an orderly fashion, something had to be done incorrectly. That's why you would look at, gee, what did I do wrong? You believe things should be ordered, and if they weren't ordered, then something had to be wrong. You wouldn't say, well, there's nothing we could have done. If you believe in order, then there's something you could have been done, you, something you could do different. Um, that's what I mean when I said earlier, you know, can you derive or pull out of this statement about a singular incident, a singular instance, maybe an overall outlook on things? And even if perhaps he didn't mean it, perhaps he was just saying chaos is inevitable because he wanted to use it as, a, as maybe some kind of explanation or defense or alibi. Um, because frankly, if you've got people falling off of, you know, plane wheels as they're taken off, I mean, something doesn't look right about that. Or a bunch of Marines dying. Well, that's the next thing, yeah. sure. A bunch of Marines dying because you put them in, a, in an untenable situation. Oh, a horrible situation for those kids. Um, so there's two things. Maybe he believes it. Or maybe he doesn't really believe it and he's just saying it anyways. But even if it's the latter, if he, if he does believe it, well, then the, all of this program is relevant. If he doesn't believe it and he's just saying it, the problem is when the president of the United States says it, other people will believe it. And they'll believe it makes sense to say chaos was inevitable. And as a message to the world, as a message to America, as a message to the world, that would conflict with the message of St. Paul. Um, perhaps it's now time to take a reading from St. Paul. And if Paul were alive, would he not write to America? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The lawless one will be revealed. The one whose coming springs from the power of Satan in every mighty deed and in signs and wonders that lie, and in every wicked deceit for those who are perishing, because they have not accepted the love of truth so that they may be saved. Undeniably great is the mystery of devotion, who, who, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed to the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. Of course, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he's, a, he's, he's talking about lawlessness. And he's talking about lawlessness being associated with evil. Is that true? Is that not a stretch? Is St. Paul right or is he wrong? In the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, there's one reference in the entire Catechism of the Catholic Church to chaos, uh, and it comes in uh, section 385. And what it says about that, no, excuse me, it says that in section uh, 761. I've got to find uh, section 761. Ah, uh, ba ba one second, because it's right here. The one reference to chaos in the entire Catechism of the Catholic Church says, the gathering together of the people of God, talking about the church itself, began at the moment when sin destroyed the communion of men with God and that of men among themselves. In other words, the Catholic Church began with Adam and Eve and original sin. That's when the church began, that moment. Why? Because that's when humans broke with God. And the moment that human brokes, broke with God, the church was born to reestablish the community of, of, of men and women that was forever after going to be at work and trying to bring people back to God. It was at that moment. The Catechism continues, the gathering together of the church is, as it were, God's reaction to the chaos provoked by sin. What was original sin? 
Original sin was nothing other than the denial of God. God, the story of original sin, the story of Adam and Eve is that, hey, God said, don't do this. And then people said, well, we're going to do it. And why would you say that you're going to do something even though God told you not to? Because you think you have the right to decide something uh, equal to God's ability to decide something, equal to God's ability to to judge whether or not something is good enough. I mean, you put yourself on a level with God. And that's the story of sin. And all sin is born from that hubris, from that pride. All sin comes from men trying to play, men and women trying to play God. The, um, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's obviously disobedience towards God, but it's also a trust and the goodness of God. If God is absolute love and he desires nothing for us but what's best for us, and if he has knowledge that far surpasses ours because, well, he's God, then why wouldn't you just trust him? Why wouldn't you do what he says, even if you don't understand it? So not only is it disobedience, but it's a lack of trust in the goodness of God. That's what breaks us. That's what breaks us away from God. It, it, it establishes this gulf uh, between us and God. What if, you know, you have a situation where 16, 17-year-old kid storms out of the house, I'm running away from home, says to his dad, I'm never talking to you again. And for the next 20, 30 years, he does not talk to his dad. Is that a break? Is that, are those just words? Um, is there a relationship between people that has been broken? It's not just a singular act. It's a will in the heart. I mean, it's, it's something that goes to the core of what exists between that father and that son, who they are uh, in relation to one another has been broken, and it's going to take a mighty effort to put it back together. Same thing, only this with, with Adam and Eve, only this was with God. This was a break with God. And so we have, you know, the situation now where sin enters the world. Before that, people were spiritual beings. You were creations of God. Uh, You were in in unity at that time with God. Unity with God. What's that like? What would that mean? Would you die a human death? Well, not if you're united with God. God's eternal. But what if you sin? What if you break away from God? What if you are in a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean, or you're riding in a plane 30,000 feet in the air, and you decide to jump out of the boat, jump out of the plane, uh, you might die. Death would have entered into your world. Um, if God is eternal life and is our connection to eternal life and we reject him, then you reject eternal life. Then death enters the world. And so... This break with God is sin. This is sin is what we were talking about. It's this break from God, um, and so, and what else? Well, if God created the universe, if God is in everything, He knows everything. Unless everything is haphazard and random, if everything is haphazard and random, then really there is no God. If there is a God, if there is order, um, I mean, is there order? This is. There's a, guy, there's a TV program called uh, Breaking Bad, and uh, I'm not really all that familiar with the program. I don't know if you are, Bob, but— Only slightly, uh, only because many people saw me with big mustache and facial hair, and I was, <laughs> I was a chemistry teacher, and that's what Heisenberg was, was a chemistry teacher. So I, <laughs> people have made uh, connections for, for myself. Well, apparently his alias on the program was Heisenberg, but he's also known as Walter Hartwell White. Uh, I guess the actor's name is Brian Cranston, but his, I guess his name in the program is Walter White. Anyways, so there's a quote I, I came across by Walter White, the character. And it said, the universe is random. It's not inevitable. 
It's simple chaos. It's subatomic particles in endless, aimless collision. That's what science teaches us. But what is this saying? What is it telling us? When on the very night that this man's daughter, this man's daughter dies, it's me who's having a drink with him. How can that be random? Even Walter White questioned what his intellect was telling him. And I, I would dispute that science tells us that everything is, is random. I think as more scientific progress is made, you're going to find more and more order to the universe. I, I could give you a ton of examples. Of <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. People feel it's random because they don't understand. And then scientists begin to understand, and they think, oh, aren't we brilliant? Because we've figured out that this isn't random. We've gained this knowledge. How smart are we? Well, not quite as smart as the person that actually put it together to begin with that wasn't random, and that would be our Lord and Savior. I mean, even a guy who believes this, that science teaches us that all of the universe is a bunch of subatomic particles colliding aimlessly, that everything is random according to his understanding of science, then he says— how does that happen that when this guy's daughter dies that very night, he's turning to me for help? How can that be random? Because it doesn't make sense. Because it's not random. There is a, and there's a, well, um, hopefully um, we'll have enough time in the program to get to the um, the chaos theory of charity. But anyways, um, so uh, so chaos is tied up. With sin. Chaos is nothing else than sin. I mean, chaos, who would want chaos? Um, St. Paul talked about Satan. It's the power of Satan. He equates lawlessness with Satan. Why? Okay, you believe in the fall. You believe in the rebellion. If you believe there's a devil, that, and St. Paul did, certainly did, spoke about it, speaking about it here in the passage that we're reading. About, Jesus talked about Satan. And I can tell you uh, about Satan. And there are enough stories. I mean, there's, if you don't believe that Satan is real, do some research. Look into it with, a, with an open mind. Um, just watch the movie of, uh, about the story of Emily Rose or read the book about her. That's just one example. I can, you know, I mean, please look into the life of St. Padre Pio. You know, come across the thousand of unexplainable miraculous healings that he was responsible for, and what he has to say about, about Satan. I mean, please, I mean, if you want to look at that question, believe me, you're going to find more than enough to convince you of this. But, um, so Paul equates, you know, Satan with chaos. Why would that be? Well, who is Satan? Well, he rebelled against God. And remember, rebellion against God, original sin, that's that sin. And what happens when you rebel against God? Well, if God created everything, if God knows everything, um, God is order. Unless every, if everything is just random nonsense, then there is no God. There's no need for God. Uh, and, there is, and there would be no God. Um, if there is order, unless you believe that the universe could create itself out of nothing, that something can come from nothing, which logically makes absolutely no sense— then there was somebody who created it. And if there was something, somebody who created it, uh, then how did he—I mean, and it works. I mean, there's order to things. Um, this planet could not exist unless, you know, things were in order. Uh, planets could not, you know, rotate around suns unless there was, you know, and stars unless there was order. There's a law of gravity. There's order to that. There's order everywhere. Otherwise, things would— just run around aimlessly colliding with one another, as Walter White talks about. Um, so when the devil, when Satan rebelled against God, what came from that? Disorder. Um, you know, separation. The, uh, separation, but it's disorder. It's craziness. They can right. do. They can do whatever they want. They can, you know, blah blah blah. I mean, it's the lack of order to the. I mean, it's. Uh, rebellion is always chaos. Rebellion is always disorder. It's taking what is orderly and breaking it apart. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can do whatever you want as a devil, you can do evil. 
then there's chaos. Um, somebody wrote an article uh, in The Federalist recently, and they said, you know, is there, they called it the end, referred to the end of American order. Looking at today's events in our country today, they're seeing and they're writing about the end of American order. Uh, this is a Federalist uh, editor, senior editor called Christopher Bedford. And he says, if you have any doubt about that, then all you have to do is look at one Sunday in Portland, Oregon. And he wrote this recently. He said, where two days ago, two days ago, not summer 2020, but the summer 2021, political gangs roamed freely, beating people, including women, and even opening fire downtown. Meanwhile, the police, who have been threatened with government action if they intervene, were nowhere to be seen. Is that chaos? You've got armed gangs beating people, running around, including women, opening fire downtown with no police. That sound like order to you? Um, also, not safe to be a reporter, a member of the press. Just Sunday, again, just days ago, Antifa targeted independent journalist and photographer Marani Staub. They said, you're bleeping endangered people by flying to bleeping Columbia and endangering everyone by opening them up to COVID, you little bleep. One masked and armored man screamed at her. Um, she went down to South America to do some, some reporting. She came back to Portland, and apparently this person thought that she's bringing COVID to the U.S. and everybody's at risk because of her. They pepper sprayed this. Journalists knocked her to the ground. Other reporters came to her aid. And uh, they were sprayed as well. And while all this was going on, police were nowhere to be found. Um, just uh, shortly before that, um, on July 19th, so a month earlier, governor of, of Oregon signed a new law that uh, made police subject to criminal prosecution for using non-lethal anti-mob forces. Uh, there's an independent journalist, Amy, uh, Andy Nago. Uh, he said, sources, probably police sources, uh, tell me the final nail for an effective permanent police stand-down was when Oregon Democrats passed a law banning most use of crowd control tools. So now, not only do you defund the police, but you pass laws that they can't use non-lethal force against mobs. And so you have mobs running around, beating people up, firing on people. Um, you have mayhem. And the mayhem, okay, was this chaos inevitable? Uh, the point of this particular piece, this article, was that no, this was consciously decided. They passed a law. This was not inevitable. It was the result of decisions. I was recently, I recently took a trip to Houston. I was staying at a downtown hotel. And about midnight, I heard a noise. I was on the sixth floor. I heard some noise outside of my windows. So our, our hotel was, was right downtown, the heart of downtown, uh, on corner of Main Street in Dallas. Uh, doesn't matter to anybody, English, I guess, unless, you know, I guess from Houston. But point is, it was downtown, uh, the business district. Anyways, about midnight, I heard a commotion outside the window and uh, looked down. And there was a mob down there. And uh, they were circling around, making a lot of noise, yelling, threatening. And I kept waiting for the police to show up to disperse this mob. Because if anybody happened to come by, uh, there was a chance somebody was going to be hurt. The police never showed. This happened, this went on for half an hour. They finally dispersed basically on their own. The police never showed. In Houston, Texas. In downtown Houston, Texas. I mean, this is not a residential district. Are these people, what are these people doing? So anyways, um, we have chaos. You don't have to look far for these examples. But is the chaos inevitable? No, there are decisions that are made. I mean, the president says chaos was inevitable. 
And people are dying, falling from planes. It's not inevitable. It was the result of decisions. Look, like I said before, um, we don't like to talk politics. This isn't political. This is, uh, this is just common decency and humanity. You, if you care about people, you don't decide to pull their, the singular line of protection that's between them and chaos and a mob of people from which they're so fearful of death that they're willing to fall from airplanes. I mean, think about it. What was going through the minds of these people before they suffered the physical pain and the suffering that comes with that kind of death? What kind of mental cruelty, what kind of mental torture were they going through? And what kind of mental cruelty are people still going through to this day? Do you care about the people enough? If there is... Ah, boy, oh boy. Um, you know, if, if you, why is chaos aligned with sin and evil? Because the opposite of sin and evil is caring and love. If you really felt in your heart, supposing the president had family members, he talks, okay, let's skip that. Um, if the president had family members in Afghanistan, would he leave them behind and pull the military out? Would you not want to get those people out first? Shouldn't the military be the last people to leave? It's simple logic. They would cover the retreat of the other people. That's what the military does. So... If you think the chaos was inevitable, there's no other way to do this, that it was, the chaos was going to ensue and the people were going to have to suffer. Um, and you decide, okay, that'll happen anyway. I don't care. Isn't that, isn't that what it comes to? Is that it? I don't care. Is there another way of looking at it? Because if you really cared, if these were your family members, if you would feel in your own heart the pain that these people feel, and obviously it was tremendous to be clinging to these planes. If you could sympathize with them enough, if you would want to treat, have them be treated better than you yourself, if you were willing to suffer for them, if you were going to imitate Christ, you would feel their pain even more than they do. And if you feel that way, would you have made a different decision. Isn't it logical that you didn't care? Because this was avoidable. We had 2,500 troops in the tr and the, the country was under control. This is what St. Paul is saying. That the law lawlessness, that chaos, that disorder, that, you know, having people do all kinds of allowing or having people do all kinds of things against one another that's hurtful. That kind of lawless, that kind of chaos, it is connected to sin and evil. It is order that is aligned with God. It is, and with order comes peace. And, with, and you have order and you have peace when you have love, when you care about people. These things don't just happen by coincidence. They are connected. There is a truth that underlies things. If you believe in order, and I mean, if you believe in a God and you believe in order, you know, and you believe in Christ, you're going to want to treat other people better than you. You're going to even sacrifice um, yourself before other people. You're going to let the military put themselves in harm's way because that's what they decided to do because they've made a Christian decision to do that and, and subject themselves to suffering to protect other people. That's how you're going to think. That's your philosophical outlook going to be. On the other hand, if you don't think that way, 
chaos is allowable. Maybe, is it inevitable? Is it not inevitable? It's at least allowable. And you don't care. Let's, let's, be, let's be frank and honest. There's no way around this. You don't care as much as you should, well, you period. Don't, you don't care for others, Ray. I, everything you're saying is right on the money. When we put ourselves before God and other people, chaos can ensue. But when we care about other people, when we love other people, and we want to do what God wants us to do, wants to do, we want to do his desire, we don't make decisions to harm or to hurt or to cause pain. We make decisions to love and nurture and take care of others and allow them to grow in a similar way. There is no doubt everything you're speaking is the truth, that the devil himself is the evil of loving oneself more than anyone else, right? None of us want to be around somebody that loves himself, that's arrogant. We've, we feel irritated by them, and that is the essence of away from God. Loving God and putting God first and others before yourself is all about nurturing, loving, taking care of, and does not involve chaos. It involves deep, intrinsic thought that says the better of others and the way of God is more important than myself. That's hard to do. And that's not chaos. That's when you want to take care of other people. And that's what you've been saying. It's just absolutely brilliant in the case. It's an easy, easy excuse to make. There's chaos. Nothing I could do about it. Nothing I could do about it. But doggone it, if we do but try to do something about it, that's when we push chaos away. If you have a strong faith in God, I know. I mean, this is... Um, I mean, it's, it's always problematic to speculate about what other people feel and think. But let's just look at this logically and rationally. If you believe in God, then you believe in order. And I think we made this point earlier. And if there's disorder, you're going to think, well, why? What did we do that's not in line with what God would have us do? Because what God would have you do is to preserve that order, to, to, to always to take care of other people. Anyways, you know, it's, it, it's, it's funny. The Catechism talks about, and Paul talks about, the mystery, uh, well, here, the, the Catechism, the mystery of lawlessness is clarified only in the light of the mystery of our religion. You know, it's interesting. Paul and the Catechism talk about the mystery of law. Lawlessness is a mystery, and isn't it? I mean, what have we been talking about? That disorder is aligned with sin. It's aligned with breaking from God. You have to go—to really get a good perspective on this, you do have to go back to the separation of man from God. You do have to go back to Adam and Eve. You have—I mean, um, this, this is not— a concept or this understanding is not something that is so readily achievable by everybody without even having to think twice about it. Now, you know, uh, there is, there, there, there are deep connections here, deep connections, um, you know, between, you know, the overall story of the, of the world, the existence of the world, our existence in it, that's wrapped up with this business about chaos. You might just think, well, chaos is just chaos. no. It relates to nothing other than a break with God. Um, that's why perhaps it's a mystery. It's hard to understand. But the church says, catechism says, that mystery is clarified only in the light of the mystery of our religion. And that's what Paul does. when He talks about the mystery of lawlessness, but then he also says, undeniably great is the mystery of devotion. There's the mystery of lawlessness, and there's also the mystery of devotion. Devotion to who? Devotion to what? Well, he, t he tells us. Devotion to who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed to the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up before the very eyes of the apostles in glory to heaven. Um, yeah. Uh, that puts it into perspective. You know, if... We were spiritual beings that had this connection with God, and we were not subject to death because you were united to God. 
Um, how do you get that back? Once that's broken, how do you get it back? The challenge here, and this and why it's a mystery, is we like to think in physical terms. We live in a physical world. We think of things in a physical way. This is not physical. This is spiritual. You're not going to have eternal life with a physical mortal body the way you know you have this body now. You're not going to have a body with 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 blood with blood and flesh and so forth that's going to last for millions of years. That body, you know, that physical body. Now, it's going to be spiritual. It's going to be energy. You know, well, we had that once. How do you get it back? Oh yeah, that's where Christ comes in. He gave it back. He was seen rising to heaven. His risen body, his risen glorified body, rising to, I mean, that would have been quite a sight, rising to heaven. You don't believe in Christ? You think, you, you think, or you don't believe in Christ as much as you should? Read about him. Read about the people who believe in him. Read about the saints. Approach these questions, these mysteries with an open mind. You'd be amazed where it will take you. Jesus Christ himself, as far as I believe, had all the power to do anything he wanted. Yet he didn't do it to make himself richer. He didn't do it to gain control. He did it to save us and to help us. He did it for others. And when his time of passion came, he could have turned away. In fact, he was encouraged by our friend Peter to turn away. And what did he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Right? When not supposed to do, when Peter's encouraging him to do, not what his father wanted. Christ is always the ultimate and wonderful example of what we should be doing. And what we should be doing is to do what's right, even when it's not best for us. You want to get rid of chaos? Quit thinking about yourself and think of others. And then calm, steady, reasonable thought comes. That's when the truth ends up showing up, and that's when our Lord and Savior gets into our head and our mind and our soul, and we begin to truly love others. And that's not chaos. That's, that's Nirvana. That's uh, is, as good as it gets. When people love each other and there's real harmony between people, there's order. If everybody on the planet loved everybody else on the planet because they were imitating Christ and uniting themselves to God— and everybody was in harmony with everybody, that seems to me like it. That would, there'd be some harmony. There'd be some order there. Anyways, um, I'm going to gloss over this because I want to get to some other things. We're running short on time. But it's interesting to me. There's a game called, popular video game called Warhammer. And in it, there's this thing. There's this place called the Realm of Chaos. And um, describing it, um, it's... Um, uh, da, 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 um, it says, few mortals uh, perceive the realm of chaos in its true splendor, for the living mind recoils at this. Um, it says, so thus, no two visions of the realm of chaos are exactly alike. If there is anything that can be called the truth, it is this. Here's the kicker. The realm of chaos is but a mirror reflection on the misery, pain, and horrors of the material world created by the mortal races. Um, we create that. We create that. I mean, this is also saying that chaos is the creation of man. Man, when he's not united with God. Uh, so chaos is man's creation, right? God, I mean, order, peace is God's creation. Uh, the description continues, Nothing is so perilous in all the world as the unlocked mind of a man. There's no escape from the consequences of our nature. Our nature, our consequences of our nature, the fallen nature. Going back to original sin, excuse me, we talked about that in this program, maybe. Yeah, somehow it all kind of connects. I don't know how that happens. In our unfettered imagination, the very thing that makes us great, our, our imagination, the power of our mind, lies the seeds of our ruin and damnation. That's interesting. In a video game, there's so much, so much behind it, and it, it basically, you know, confirms 
what we're talking about, chaos, is uh, the result of an unlocked, unfettered mind, a mind that has no boundaries, a mind that has nothing to keep it from its worst tendencies, a mind that doesn't believe in an order higher than itself that it needs to uh, abide by. Um, okay, but we're not going to end with that. No, I'm not going to end with that. There's hope. And looking around, just poking around for instances about chaos and people's you know, perceptions and experiences with chaos and what it means to people. Because, you know, we can talk philosophically, we can talk grandiose, but really what it comes down to is people and individual experiences. And when the individual experiences, when the personal stories kind of reflect and connect with the larger philosophical and theological truths, I think, you know, you're on to something. Um, because that's where, because that's that's truth. Those large ideas would play out, and if they're true, will play out in individual lives. Well, here's a guy. What's his name? His name is Rob Gorski. He's got a blog. It's called the Autism Dad. It's the blog of a single dad raising three kids with autism. And here's what he happens to speak about chaos. He says, "I don't know if I've ever specifically spelled this out before, but I hate chaos. I hate it." Chaos is the absence of organization, and I love being organized. Unfortunately, chaos reigns supreme in my house because of the often unpredictable nature of the many autism-related challenges we face on a daily basis. But he doesn't end there. He doesn't admit defeat. Look, I, I said before, I don't like doing this, but we're not going to shrink from talking politics and religion. I don't like talking about people in a way that, you know, criticizes them. I don't like being judgmental of people, and I'm not going to try to judge the president, but there's no way around this. This is a bad idea that he espoused the other day, bad idea that he pronounced, and there's no other way around this. And people, are di people have died now as a result of his decision, so I'm sorry, but the time for being polite is past. Um, but still, we're not going to talk about the man. We're going to talk about the ideas. And the idea that chaos is inevitable is a bad idea. Here's what the autism dad has to say about it. He can't avoid it. It's always there. It's just part of life with autism, autistic kids. But here's how he ends it. He says, I've never found a way to avoid it, but I keep trying nonetheless. You know, isn't that the human condition? Uh, we're we don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in unity with God where we're living in heaven. And we don't have to do anything. We don't have to work at it because we're so close to God. It's just there for us. No, we do have to work at it. And the problem with it is, okay, there may be chaotic things, but you can't surrender to them. You can't just simply say it's inevitable and it's just the way things are. You have to fight it. The autism dad knows about that. Well, and it's your going to fight for others rather than just yourself. You're going to make a difference in the world rather than just you. I've got another one. It's a story about a girl. She's a blogger. She uh, writes about anxiety. It's a story that's very interesting from a lot of levels because so many young people today have stress and anxiety. And she also has this fight with chaos. Uh, but she likes this line from the story Amazing Grace, the song Amazing Grace, which is written by a guy who um, found God and after doing so gave up his business involvement in the slave trade back, uh, I guess, 100, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, she the line she likes, I once was lost, but now am found. Lost in chaos, but now am found. There is a, uh, uh, and I'd love to go into her blog, but like I said, we're running short on time. This whole idea of, of mental stress, anxiety, and what, and what she goes through. And it's like where things seem chaotic and trying to make sense, trying to make some order out of your life so that you can get past the anxiety. She describes all of that. And it's, you know, it's the, and that's how she, you know, and, and she has a spiritual kind of turn uh, to her reflections on this. And, of course, that's where you're going to find peace and order. Um, and then there is a, a Catholic writer by the name of Stephen Beale. And he writes about what he calls... Um, the chaos theory of charity, he calls it the chaos theory of charity. Chaos, uh, chaos is a, um, it's a, um, well, chaos theory is a principle of mathematics that tries to take things like finances, you know, the ups and downs of the stock market or, 
you know, you name it. You know, all kinds of different, you know, events in our lives that seem, uh, there's no explanation for them. And it just examines, it tries to find mathematical patterns to things. And even in things that seem completely happenstance, completely disordered, uh, from these patterns that they can glean from reams of data, they try to discern that, hey, even though we couldn't see it, there was order there. It's like not being able to see something, you know, with the normal eyes, but then looking at it with a microscope and all of a sudden you see, away. Well, hey, there's something there, there, something underneath. And that's what the chaos theory of mathematics does. And so Mr. Beale writes about the chaos theory of charity. What happens if you do some good work for somebody and nothing comes of it? Or you do something good and you don't see the end result. You give $5 to a beggar on the street or you say a kind word to somebody that you're passing and you just meet momentarily. You don't know what effect that has. Maybe that person was thinking about killing themselves and the kind word that you said to them makes them start to think differently. You never know. And you're not going to know until you pass from this life to the next. Um, but what Mr. Beale writes about is the fact, I think he quotes, yeah, he quotes, you know who he quotes? He quotes somebody. He quotes this guy named Paul, who in 1 Corinthians wrote, be firm, steadfast, always fully devoted to the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If that is a truth, if St. Paul spoke things that are true, just remain steadfast. Do good for other people. It will not be in vain. Even if you don't see it, good will come from good. You may not know it now. You may never know it. But good will not fail to produce good. And likewise, bad will not fail to produce bad. Um, so anyways, there is our hopeful note, the chaos theory of charity. There is order. And the chaos theory of charity says there's order in good works. There's order in kindness. There's order in love. And that it'll spread, your love will spread more love. And it'll create more harmony between more people. Even maybe just as to a small little bit. But maybe, but if we all do it, it'll grow and it'll grow. And then we will have this situation where we're all in harmony with one another. And then there will be total order. So, chaos is not inevitable, Bob. I hope not. Because there is a God. I hope so. All of that is correct. I believe so. And uh, I'm with you, Ray. The desire always should be to put God and others first and to truly follow our Lord. And chaos will not only end, it will end forever. It will end for eternity with nothing but love with God together. What a wonderful thought. Why would you ever want to give that up and just trust to chances? And we cannot allow ourselves to say, even with regard to certain, even in in limited ways or limited to a singular circumstance, that chaos has to happen. It never has to happen because chaos is not the truth. Chaos is the antithesis of God. Chaos is what the devil created when he broke from God. God is there. God is real. Order is there. Allowing ourselves to believe anything different is a mistake. Um, all right. That's, that's our program. And I don't know, Bob, can you come up with another prayer for us today? I think we could give it a try. Give it a shot. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, allow us always truly to find you. Because while we want to control everything, we want to make sure that our needs are taken care of. When we want to drive things we're in big trouble. Allow us to understand that it is through you that all good and all truths occur, and it is through you in serving others that we get closer to you and get to join you in eternity. Allow us not to do it because of anything we'd gain. Allow us to do it because you are our God, and we are your people, and we wish to love you and serve you in the way that you desire. Allow us not to be put down by troubles or difficulties or things not going the right way, Let us smile, let us bring joy to others, and always be helping one another in any way that we can. That is why you put us here on earth, 
and that is what we should be trying to do. We pray all this through the one who came to earth to show us the way, to show us unselfishness, to show us devotion to you, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the The Son, Son, Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. We thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.